Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SGS Nation, and welcome to this live breaking news edition of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that brings you the very best guests in all of true crime, coming to you live from our global headquarters in an undisclosed location here in Miami. And uh, we've got two of our best, best guests. Uh, you know both bases. I don't have the formal biographies for you today because uh, we're doing this all on the fly. But uh, the man who has been all over the Long Island serial killer case, literally from day one, is now retired NYPD Sergeant Joseph Joe Jackalone. Joe, how are you? Great, Joel. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And then we've got uh, Detective Phil Ramos. You couldn't get two better uh, former detectives and uh, law enforcement officers. Uh, Phil Ramos, of course, a three-time Las Vegas Police Officer of the Year. He infiltrated the Cuban mob. He was there for Tupac Shakur's autopsy. What is the name of that show again, Phil? There's a show streaming on Hulu right now, Phil Ramos. Yeah, it's on Hulu. It's called uh, Who Shot Pac, P-A-C, and it's a documentary on, uh, they were out here for couple of weeks filming it and um, tried to get me to say that we didn't do a good job, but I, I straightened them out. There you go. And you're going to get hate mail like me because it's pop, not pack. But uh, don't worry about it, Phil. I've got your back. Um, Joe Jackalone, please remind the audience, by the way, we are awaiting a 315 press conference. I'm going to get into the details of what we believe uh, will be revealed in that press conference momentarily. Uh, we are going to do our best to take that live, watch it together, and then have analysis immediately following from these two smart investigative minds. But Joe Jackalone, uh, the person holding uh, this press conference is the victims, uh, some of the victims uh, family's attorney. His name is John Ray from Long Island. Uh, you interviewed him last week on your YouTube channel. Let's just remind everyone the name of your channel, where you can find it, and uh, tell us about that interview. Sure, yeah. The YouTube channel is youtube.com uh, at, at Joseph Jackal. My name's right there, so that's the way the channel is. Uh, yeah, so I spoke to John. Uh, we did about an hour, and he kind of, um, you know, looking back now, he kind of dropped some hints about what was coming forward. At the time, you know, when you're talking to people, you know how this goes, Joe. You know, you, you pick up on these little tidbits, uh, but you put them on the side because, you know, sometimes when people do share, they, uh, you know, want to, you want to make sure that you, you, every all the information you get is 100% correct. So you try to vet this out, but this is going to be an interesting press conference. Uh, you know, we sh like everything else, we shall see what uh, comes of this. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking at Twitter uh, as we are uh, getting closer and closer, about 12 minutes away uh, from this press conference. Uh, New Yorkers notoriously run late, like us here in uh, Miami. Uh, Nancy Grace tweeting out, uh, new evidence links accused Long Island serial killer Rex Heuerman to two more slangs. So that is uh, what we're up against today. Again, the press conference is going to be held uh, on the eastern end of Suffolk County at 3 3.15 p.m. Uh, what's interesting about this, uh, Joe Giacalone, and then we'll pivot to Phil right after that, is uh, Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison from the Suffolk County uh, PD. He's showing up there. That is pretty significant. That's not one of his lieutenants. That's not an underling. Uh, what do you make of the fact that the uh, Suffolk County Police Commissioner is going to be in attendance today? Well, this is this is really significant in a way because John Ray has held these press conferences for years now about different kinds of information coming forward. And I can't recall any police representative being there. 
So not only do you have a representative, like you said, you have the, the police commissioner himself show up there, uh, kind of validates what's going to be said here today. Um, you know, what evidence does, uh, you know, John Wright put out? We don't know yet. Is it about, you know, certain things weren't done right or certain things that, you know, didn't happen. And then the, the police commissioner is there to uh, discuss that. Uh, we don't know just yet. And I think we should avoid jumping to conclusions for, you know, a lot of, a lot of speculation going on out there. Yeah, that's uh, always good to uh, heed that advice, uh, particularly when there's breaking news. Uh, it could be a big fat nothing burger. Uh, it doesn't sound that way, though, and that's why no. we're hopping on this. Um, Phil Ramos, uh, this is a case that you know extends back to 2010, as far as we know, uh, and investigators obviously continuing to work on this. We're finding out that the two other uh, victims he may be connected to are Shannon Gilbert and Karen Vergata. What's interesting about Karen Vergata is she was a Jane Doe, and a few months back, uh, with the help of Othram, a uh, you know DNA company, they helped finally ID Karen Vergata. Um, Phil Ramos, what do you think's going on, sort of behind the proverbial curtain, um, with this investigation? I mean, obviously, they arrested Rex Huerman. He's arrested in connection with three victims. He's a a prime suspect in a fourth, which is Maureen Brainerd Barnes. If these two come to fruition, it would be six victims. But uh, I take it the investigation is far from over, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Othram has been working overtime on these cases as well as others. We use them for uh, the majority of our uh, unidentified DNA uh, profiles, and um, they're just a great, great organization. I can't say enough about them. Um, but my sense of it is there's been some breakthroughs on the DNA identification of um, these two latest victims. They've probably got them locked in on DNA on, on those two. And, and there may be more. I mean, they're, they're still working on it because, uh, you know, like uh, Joe would be able to tell you that DNA is such a tricky little thing that, you know, you could get it in a week and sometimes it takes a year. You know, I've had, I've had results take 18 months sometimes but as long as they're working on it as long as they're plugging away on it there could be further developments as we go along and they may very well tie him to more murders very mm -hmm. uh, my view is very likely that they will uh saying hello to tali who's coming to us live from tel aviv israel uh, by the way quick programming note we are back for regular scheduled programming at 7 p.m eastern tonight doing the suzanne morphew case and Carm, don't call it a comeback. She's right over my shoulder here. She will be making her triumphant return tonight from Studio 1K, as in Carm. You get that? Uh, she will be live at 7 p.m. Um, Joe, do you agree with Phil here? Do you think that there is some sort of DNA connection that has been made? Um, obviously, uh, you know this better than anyone else. That Karen Vergata uh, was you know, identified. She was a Jane Doe for all these years. Uh, finally identified. Do you think DNA is at the core of what we're about to hear? Well, I really don't know for that fact, because if you remember, Karen Vergata was found uh, off of Fire Island. Uh, her body was wrapped in plastic and it was in the water for a long period of time. Now, unless there was something that was in the plastic that we didn't know about that they recovered, then sure. I mean, that's uh, something that we do know that has now been um, attributed to Rex Heerman from the three Gilgo ladies. And that could be an interesting thing. But the Shannon Gilbert case is, is, has always been the outlier, right? Shannon was the only one that was uh, that, that arrived with a, a driver uh, that, that, had, that they knew who the, the, the John was. They knew everybody that was playing involved in that, in that case. 
and we know that you she ran out of the house uh, screaming down the block and uh, you know eventually led to finding her remains about a year later and there's been a difference of uh, opinions on how the police departments handled that case and the medical examiner said the undetermined manner of death and the police department is saying it's been an accident so yeah it, it's yeah and Shannon's Shannon's family's been very outspoken when those 911 tapes came out um you know they were very vocal uh, they believe she was in fact murdered and uh I don't think they've gone so far as to say it's Rex Hewerman by name, but uh, they've got to be thinking that this could be the guy, right? Well, I think so. And in regards to like, you know, what the family feels, I mean, the family's been through an awful lot, not only between Shannon, but then her mom and the sister and everything else that's gone with it. That poor family has suffered a tremendous amount of pain and anguish. And of course, they have that the anger towards uh, the police department and, and how this case was handled and, and continues to be handled uh, in, in many, you know, kind of, uh, you know, venue, so to speak, about how they uh, how they feel about it. We got uh, Scotland in the house and now Julie Frew joining us from the UK. So this uh, has uh, global implications and check this out. Catch Lisk in the chat. Uh, been following this extremely closely. I look at his Twitter all the time. Uh, so welcome to Catch Lisk. Um, to you, um, Phil, <clears throat> um why do you think, uh, speaking of Scotland and the UK, why does this have the attention of the world? Things like this don't really happen in, in other countries, you know, and, and there's a lot of theories as to why and a lot of theories as to, you know, what draws the interest. But, you know, we get some pretty crazy crimes out here in, in the U.S. And um, while they're not unique to America, I think the whole vibe of it being look what happens in america the greatest country in the world with all the freedoms and they can do whatever they want go wherever they want but they can't take care of their own business in their within their own borders you know it's people just have this attraction to death and and, and you know the reality of it and um you know we, we have our fair share of it in the world community and um we get a lot of attention because of that yeah, well, there's certainly there's serial killers elsewhere, but it seems like America has uh, kind of captured uh, the fair share of that. Uh, Jenny, Benny, uh, Phil, back to you on this. Joel's on it. I wonder how many more victims will be discovered. So terrifying. So, uh, you know, this dates back to 2010. But there's people out there because this guy is an accused serial killer thinking that he's been at it for 30, 40 years. Um, Phil, do you think when this is all said and done, um, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we'll find out, or five years from now, that there were significant, significantly more victims than who we know about right now. It's hard to say, probably, um, but you got to think of, of how science has come so far with helping us in, in these uh, investigations, because you got, you've got two avenues of DNA. You've got the suspect DNA that you're looking for at different crime scenes, and then you've got victim DNA associated with all the evidence that they collected at his house. Um, this could be an update on the evidence that they had collected from his house. There was just bags and bags and bags of it. And, and clearly there's going to be a lot more evidence or a lot more DNA evidence found. And uh, that could be down the road. Uh, on the other hand, his DNA is going to be um, hopefully found uh, on the victims that as they come up or the victims that are already existing, if, if they found his DNA and, and his full profile being entered into CODIS is going to be a big, 
a big sign that they're really hoping that they will be able to get more DNA from different areas. And, it, and if this start, if they get one hit on a other jurisdiction, you know, we tested him out here for a couple, wherever he's been, if there's a hit someplace else, then you're going to see a lot more interest in it. Yeah, uh, and that's where it goes federal, too. If yeah. they if if one of these come back in Vegas, this goes federal, and that's the end of that. I mean, that's pretty much where we're headed. If that's the case, and, and Joe, what, I mean, ex, expand on that a little bit. If it goes federal, um, then you've got the uh, you know the resources of the obviously the federal government whose pockets uh, run as deep as they come, right? I mean, what does that mean for the investigation if there is a federal nexus here? Well, it, it, it's huge because of the fact that they run CODIS. That's the first thing. So that's the, remember New York actually had was fighting Vegas to give them the DNA sample. So this is something that the feds will just that will overcome that. But here's the other thing: uh, the feds bring the death penalty onto the table again. So when you are talking to him and you see now he has a reason to discuss maybe other cases that they don't have evidence on him against and use that as leverage against him. And I think. If that's the way this goes, that's that's what's going to happen. That's just my guess. Hmm. Uh, I was trying to get to these comments earlier. Nice to see Phil Ramos twice this week. He's now a regular on uh, SDS, followed by this. Joe, don't you worry. Joseph has some cute <laughs> dimples. Don't tell the wife. Do not tell the wife. Um, undisclosed location from the Adelsons. Uh, Charlie Adelson is going on trial uh, for murder next week. We're going to be all over that case in the Dan Markell murder. Uh, not coming to you. Uh, not coming to you from uh, the Adelsons, at least not yet. Uh, Space Coast let me know that the conference has not started, but uh, he is monitoring that behind the scenes. Miss We Lassie coming to us from Scotland. So we've got Scotland in the house here, just seeing who else is here. Uh, one of the other significant uh, developments, McSpunky here, very generous McSpunky, uh, always giving out uh, YouTube membership. So Good guy. Appreciate that. Um, Joe, one of the other interesting developments, um, we're hearing Asa Ellerup's name being mentioned uh, in regards to this press conference. She, of course, is Rex Hureman's now uh, strange, soon-to-be-divorced wife. She uh, served some divorce papers in jail. Apparently, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be not going to be contested in any way. Uh, he made that clear from his jail cell. But what is the significance of potentially Asa Ellerup being kind of intertwined into what we're about to hear today. Yeah, this is an interesting aspect of it because about a month or so ago, John Ray had uh, held another, uh, he'd done an interview and he had uh, said that uh, Rex's wife, Asa, was at the house when he was bringing these girls back and he, she was in full acknowledgement of what was going on there. Um, he did get a lot of pushback on that. There was a lot of online debate on a lot of that stuff uh, but you know like everything else uh you know he said that he had information and he had people that were uh, you know clients and and the like so i don't know exactly how much of that we can you know discuss uh, in in that respect but if if she's a victim of domestic violence or she's a victim of being you know of all those other things that, that oh, go, here we oh, go guys that was late and they're here okay so then we don't have to wait. I wasn't going to wait anyway, but, you know, if they step in, they step in. We might have to go over a few things. I don't know. All right. When you're ready, you tell me. And we are looking at Attorney John Ray, the victim's family's attorney. Good afternoon, everybody. We're here today because new information has been, uh, has arisen 
in this case from witnesses who were so far unknown. Those witnesses, of which there are four, have given us statements, two of whom have given us affidavits regarding this case, regarding Rex Uriman and Shannon Gilbert and Karen Vergata. Before I talk about them, first, I want you to be aware that here stands the commissioner, as you know, with me. And up until now, we have not made it known to the public that we have been working together on this case steadily since the time that I came to know Commissioner Harris a year ago, February. Uh, we, up until that point, the police department was very resistant to receiving any kind of evidence or information from my office, from what I was doing. That all changed significantly when uh, Commissioner Harris stepped in and we uh, began to collaborate. And we've collaborated ever since. That collaboration has had fruit. And that fruit, at least, are the witnesses I'm going to be talking about today, as well as other evidence and information which we have shared together and with the police department, uh, and this, uh, therefore with the task force. So it is true to say that our cooperation has given rise to more substantial, valuable evidence in the entire case of the Long Island serial killer. So with that in mind, I'm very pleased that, that Commissioner Harrison has seen fit to open his mind and, and to do what I'm suggesting has been done, uh, contrary to all those who have come before him. And he's approaching this case in the right way. He's the right man for the job, and he's done his job well. As to the witnesses, as to the evidence, in no particular order, of importance because so much of it is important. I have stood as a beacon to, as a civilian beacon to the people who are involved in this case to come and talk where they didn't want to approach the police out of fear, out of apprehension, uh, out of a natural, some in some cases, a natural distaste for the police department because of the work these people were in. So they would then come to me and speak to me and I would interview them and we would then cooperate, I, them and the police department. And so with that in mind, the first two witnesses I'm going to talk about are uh, both of them uh, are not Suffolk County residents. I should point out that uh, we obtained from these two affidavits their names will go unmentioned. Their, their names are blotted out of the affidavits, but the affidavits will be available to you right after the press conference. As to the first one I'll talk about, this is a witness who has every reason to have no bias, no interest in the case whatsoever. She was not a sex worker, is not a sex worker. And instead, back in the 90s, in the 1990s, she was what is known then and now as a swinger. 
she would have a sex partner and they would go to certain sex clubs in New York City where they would switch partners with other people of like kind. One of the most important places that they would go was called La Trapeze on West 27th Street in New York, right near uh, uh, Rex Uerman's office. And this was a notorious place for swapping, for switching partners. Uh, sometimes several hundred people at a time would be involved in this place in its heyday. Its heyday was in the late 90s, uh, right at the time that uh, Karen Brigada is involved in this case. In this situation, this particular woman was uh, dating a police officer from New York City who was in narcotics, a detective, and uh, they would go to these, these switchy clubs, these swapping clubs. At a certain time, at, at or about Valentine's Day of 1996, I believe, uh, the, the, uh, the couple went to La Trapeze, and I think it was on the wall at La Trapeze where an advertisement uh, was placed to go to a house in Massapequa Park for partying, for switching, for swapping. She went with her boyfriend uh, out to Long Island. But before they went, her boyfriend picked up a, a woman in New York, in the city, who had apparently just gotten out of jail. And she was disheveled and hungry. And she was a sex worker. We don't know the details yet of how he came to know her, but he knew her. And she came in the car with the two of them. They went to Massapequa Park. Before they got there, they stopped at a gas station. And the girl who was with them expressed some apprehension about where they were going and why. Uh, that was all wiped out when it was pointed out that he's a police detective. So don't worry. No problem. They ended up going to Rex Uriman's house. In the house was the wife of Rex Uriman and uh, Rex Uriman and the, the, the other girl. The other girl who we believe to be Karen Vergata. She, this girl, disappears downstairs at the house. Rex Uriman disappears. And according to our witness and other witnesses I've talked to, when men are swingers with their, their partner, very often they switch sexually. They go back and forth between male and female. And so Uriman leaves the main floor and disappears either into another bedroom or downstairs. It's not clear. And the witness talks to Rex's wife. She doesn't want to have sex like she had expected uh, to occur because our client believes because our client is an African-American woman. And Uriman didn't like that. Uh, Ellerup, rather, didn't like that. So there was no sex between them, as was originally planned. Instead, the sex is between Uriman and the other man. At some point, the witness goes looking for her partner. 
and is kind of upset that he doesn't emerge. He emerges, and finally, they leave, and kind of in a hurry. But when they leave, as they're leaving, the witness points out that she could see in the window, looking out, the girl the, that had come with them. And she says to her, her uh, driver, her, her partner, what are we doing? Are we taking her? And the partner says, don't worry. They're just playing a game. She stays there. No problem. With that, the girl runs out of the house naked and is running in front of the garage. And now the witness says, hey, shouldn't we be taking her? Something's wrong here. And the driver tells her, no, nah, they're just playing a game. Leave it. And they leave. She never hears about the incident again. She distinctly remembers Uriman. She also had intercourse with Uriman that, that same day. And uh, she kind of you know, buries it, forgets about it. Until on TV, she sees the picture of Karen Vergata. And she recognizes her and said, that's her. And she recognizes Rex Uriman. And so she comes forward, forward, and I meet her. I interview her at great length. Um, I also had the police department. Uh, we, we arranged for detectives to interview her. And I found her story. I interviewed her for three times for a total of nine hours. And uh, I found her story to be credible. She also mentioned that Rex would go out in the backyard and start a fire at one, two o'clock in the morning in a big barrel that was outside in the back. And she was worried about that, too, that it would attract police. Anyway, she seemed credible. She appears to be credible. And she was willing to sign an affidavit to that effect. And that affidavit will be available to everybody. In, and in the details I've just told you, you will find there. The second witness who's come forward. This woman is not a sex worker, never was. She's not a switcher or swapper. She's not involved in any sexual activities whatsoever. She has nothing to gain by coming forward. She's not looking for a book or money or the usual things that you're hearing about out there. None of that. But she came forward because she's very disturbed about what she knows after she also saw uh, Rex Uriman on television and Shannon Gilbert. And here's her story. She's a, she's a uh, banker by day. And at night she worked extra in Suffolk County as a taxi driver to take care of her family you know, with a one parent family. As a taxi driver, she is called from her dispatcher to go to the Sayville Motor Lodge on Sunrise Highway, that infamous place that the commissioner here busted a year ago and for, for uh, prostitution and other illegal activities. She's called to go to that place and that there's a girl awaiting her in, who's locked in a bathroom and will come out if she flashes her lights and beeps the horn. And she goes there and does that several times. It doesn't work. But then suddenly a giant man 
who fits the description of Rex Uriman, comes out and he's covering his face with his arms so he can't be seen. And he runs to a van uh, or a, an SUV right nearby that's parked right there. She continues to flash her lights and beep her horn and out comes a girl crying, shaking, very upset and gets in her car. There they talk for a while and then eventually they drive to the Ronkonkoma, I believe Ronkonkoma Railroad Station so that this girl can go back in to New York City. This girl uh, was a sex worker who was servicing the big man and uh, the man had seduced her into coming to Sayville by several times over the telephone convincing her that he would he was just a nice man who was going to help work uh, with her to help her family, her mother, her sisters, and her boyfriend. Shannon has a mother, sisters, and a boyfriend at that time. She had her hair pulled back and uh, because she often wore wigs. This girl turns out to be Shannon Gilbert. Now, Shannon is lured into doing this particular tryst, and she's given uh, an envelope or shown an envelope by the man that looked like it was stuffed full of money. And he tells her there's a thousand dollars in there. It's for you and your family, no matter what happens tonight. She looks in the envelope when he goes to the bathroom and it's stuffed with paper. And so she panics and realizes something's wrong. So she goes in the bathroom and he had become very aggressive, very angry. She goes in the bathroom, locks the door and calls to get a cab. And that's how she comes out. They speak for over an hour. So the driver knows her well and notices that she has a drooping eye, uh, which is characteristic of Shannon uh, and also a characteristic of her, her family, by the way, uh, going back for a, a generation or two. And so she no notices that and it helps her to remember Shannon when she sees her later on. That's the first part of the story. It doesn't end there. This is part two. Several days or weeks later, it's not clear. And this is all occurring in the fall of 19, I'm sorry, in the fall of uh, 2009. This is all occurring. Uh, she, the driver gets another call from the same dispatcher and says that there's a man named Matt who she's to pick up uh, right off of exit 59 in the expressway. And uh, he would be by, he would be at a bar that was there by, I guess, Ocean Avenue, somewhere over there. She goes there, pulls up on a side street at, between the bar and a house right next to it. And she sees a girl in a window. And then she sees to the right of her, a man, a huge man rising up, coming to the car. He's dressed in camouflage and he, look, leans in and then jumps in the back seat, sits on the edge and leans over and starts talking to her. And she's watching him very carefully in the mirror. And she recognizes him as the same guy that was at the motel a, a, a little while before. And she now knows him to be, she recognizes him from the, uh, from the media as Rex Ewerman. He says to her that he wants her to take her on a, take him on a long trip into the woods. In other words, he changed the destination she had been told, 
which caused her immediately to become suspicious. And he was very upset, very angry. And he began to dispute with her when she said, I'm not going on a long trip anywhere. And uh, with that, he gets extremely angry and threatens to kill her and tells her, I already want to kill you. Just give me a reason. And he had a gun, a handgun. She says, I'm not going anywhere at this point. And she turns off the car and she says, you can have the keys. You can have my money, whatever you want. Just let me go. I'll let you have whatever you want. With that, her dispatcher is on the, the radio and he says out loud, we know, we see you, we hear you, we can tell who you are. And the man panics, gets out of the car. She's then able to drive away. She encounters a police car coming the other way. She believes that the police officer was called uh, by a 911 caller on that issue. Could have been the girl who was in the house right next door from where she was. But comes the police driving slowly with his lights off. She tells him the story. And the man had on a lanyard with a placard of some kind as if he were a police officer. And she asked him, are you a cop? And he said, yes. She said, from where? He said, Brooklyn. With those facts in mind, she tells the police officer who's driving, there's one of yours back there, and it looks like he's had a bad day. So you better go see what's what. Words to that effect. She later on hears from her dispatcher that he, this man, uh, went into the woods and fired off his pistol twice. And she recognizes him very clearly to be Rex Uriman when she sees him. So she's given us this affidavit as well. There's a pattern that's developing here of Rex Uriman uh, being somebody who traces down, tracks down people and, and haunts them. Uh, and, and Shannon Gilbert would therefore be no exception. Now, the third witness has not given a statement yet. The third witness contacted me from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And that witness clearly recalls being picked up. She was a, a street walker. She gets picked up by Rex Uerman, he, uh in, in Queens. And he drives, I think, near the, uh, the big center there in Queens. And he drives her into a park in Flushing where he make, makes her keep her head down at all times, commit oral sex. And then he has a pistol in his hand and tells her, get out of the car or I'm going to kill you. And don't do anything except what I tell you to do or I'm going to kill you. So she gets out of the car and he tells her before he, she does, he tells her, I want you to pick up another person, another customer. She gets out of the car and immediately pulls up a, a, another SUV and a man driving it, an African-American man. And the, the guy that picks her up is white. And she gets in the other guy's car. And the driver, Rex Uriman, follows the car. They go. Finally, get out of the car because she panics and pulls the wheel because she sees a cop car coming. So the cop sees them go jaggedy off the road, and the cop stops them. The cop then goes back, talks to Rex and the other driver who gets out and walks back. The cop comes back and tells her, lady, if you want to make a complaint, you have to go to the precinct and drives away. That's her story. 
She also has no reason. She refuses to come forward. She refuses to have herself identified. I know her name. I know her address. I've given it to the police. They're aware of it. And presumably they're investigating it. Uh, you see the pattern. There's a pattern of a guy who likes to play kind of sporting games with, with the sex workers, chases them, haunts them, hunts them. That's what we're looking at here, we believe, anyway. Um, the fourth witness, and I'll finish on that, she comes from another state, and she's contacted me as well. I have very lengthy notes and recordings of what we discussed. She was a sex worker for many years, uh, back in the time when all of these killings were occurring, and she serviced Rex Uriman. She said that she would service Rex Uriman over 20 times and that he would he was a serial user of sex workers. He would sometimes have them come two at a time to his house and his wife was home upstairs and in one instance got very angry at one of the sex workers because the wife believed that the worker had stolen an iron from, you know, for ironing clothes and had uh, had it in the car with the driver. So the driver had to get out. Everybody had to search the car. There was no iron. But but the, the wife knew about it and knew about, obviously, what was going on in order for that to happen. So she says that in her experience with, with, with Uriman, he was never impolite. He was always nice. He was always funny. He, he treated her well. And there was no violence. But he certainly had contact with Rex constantly for a period of several years. That's as much as I'm able to tell you. There's plenty of other new evidence, which I think it would take too long at this press conference to discuss. There's plenty of new other evidence that's similar in kind and consistent in, with the kinds of things that I've just described to you. So with that thought, I'm hoping that the police department will continue <coughs> along with the, um, the task force that they will continue to look into these things, investigate them thoroughly, make the synapses that haven't been made so far, connect them up and connect the dots as it were. And I think we're getting to where we wanna go. Lastly, I am still working on this case. Today I took Joseph Brewer's deposition, the John for Shannon Gilbert. I just finished it and came here. I'm still actively pursuing this case on my own, as well as cooperating with the police department and the task force. But for people out there who have information and are afraid to come forward to the police, they can talk to me. They can reveal whatever they want. I will reveal it to no one. I reveal these things with their permission, the things that I told you about. But anybody else that still has information, I'm available. My door is open. My phones are open. I can help you. Thank you. Here's what Aaron told us. The information presented about Karen Vergata, she's the first known victim of the serial killer. Does this lead you to make Rex Uerman the prime suspect in her murder in 1996? You know, I don't want to uh, make Rex Uerman the prime suspect. I, I will say this, and I'll, I'll share this over and over again. Uh, the creation of the task force uh, got us into a good place of being able to identify Rex for uh, three of the uh, 
uh, sex workers that were discovered and we're looking very good uh, for the fourth one. Uh, but we also added two more investigators to the task force to take this type of information in and to pursue it, to follow it, to see if this is credible. Uh, that's very important. And that's why uh, people don't understand when I first came into this position, uh, I sat down with John Ray, uh, myself and the members of the task force to have that conversation about information that he may have. And, and let's make sure we're uh, putting a, a dragnet out there regarding any information that's coming to us. That's why I'm gonna continue my partnership with John. And if people have a reluctancy to come forward to law enforcement and they wanna go to John Ray, then it's important that we take this information and then we follow forward with uh, furthering the investigation. So I'll, uh, it's still an ongoing investigation. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. But once again, is this, we have the information, we're working it, and uh, we'll see where it leads us down the road. I, absolutely. And that's and that's a very good question. And uh, that's why I stand here today with John Ray. Uh, you know, people don't want to use our Crime Stoppers hotline and they feel a lot more comfortable going to John Ray or, or anybody else. You know, I, I want to make sure that people understand uh, that we have a job here as law enforcement, as the Suffolk County Police Department, to make sure we investigate every single uh, complaint or interest in this case. Uh, make sure that we look under every single stone to see if there is any connection to Rex Sherman or if there is a connection to somebody else that may be involved with the bodies that were discovered in Ocean Parkway. Have you heard about or known about the affidavits before today? So we could go about uh, about a month and a half, uh, depending on two months, depending on each one. Uh, for one of the affidavits, I was actually sat down with the, the person myself that just shows you my vested interest in it, uh, you know, listen, this is something that's very important to me. Uh, I'm going to continue to grind to make sure anybody that had an interaction with our defendant, Rex Sherman, is held accountable in this case. The the delivery cab driver. The taxi, driver. the taxi cab driver, yeah. That's the one with Shannon Gilbert. That's the one with Shannon Gilbert, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? The, the taxi driver is 2009, the fall of 2009, and she is not absolutely certain of the time frame, but that's where it approximates. And that's where, Mary, that's where we're going to make sure we're doing our job and trying to nail down time frames, look at uh, radio runs and other things that can help us kind of pinpoint uh, if there is any credibility to these complaints that come forward, that came forward. And the commissioner did send two detectives to interview the other witness with me, uh, which, which we did already and, it, and uh, at length. John or Commissioner, um, did any of these witnesses explain why they didn't come forward before now? Yes. Was it yeah, it was certainly a, a question we had to ask. Uh, you know, we have to ask many, many questions to test credibility. And, and I'm not saying that people would necessarily lie, although they might, but that they don't remember or they mix up facts with other, other situations. We had to test all of those things. And so we had to test that too. And uh, in the one case with the uh, 
the witness with the swapping, she she just she, it bothered her that they left behind this girl, but she had no other reason to think anything of it until she saw this. She actually broke down. She couldn't believe it when she saw the picture and knew that girl. Uh, and that that happened there with the uh, taxi driver. The taxi driver did report it. The taxi driver uh, back in when this originally happened, she, she talked to her. Uh, she, her cousin was a cop. She spoke to her family. She spoke to other taxi drivers. She told a lot of people about it. And then she did contact Crime Stoppers and and report it and actually talked to them twice. But nobody called her back. So that's before long before the commissioner was involved. So she did come forward and she said, well, you know, she when when it got uh, reactivated the issue, then she called me. Okay. So, you know, the way John explained it, and you got to just kind of take this into context. Uh, she doesn't have a, a stake in the game. She's a um, cab driver at night, uh, had a profession during the day. You know, she's not necessarily from this neighborhood. So, you know, little things like that kind of piqued my interest. And uh, once again, is this, you know, why did she come forward and uh, her role and story and everything? It's, it's something that we need to take a closer look at and we need to make sure we're investigating it. And that's why the task force will stay in place. Uh, that's why we, we added more manpower to it. Uh, we're gonna continue to work with our law enforcement partners and uh, see if there's any nexus to, um, uh, to our defendant Rex Shearman or once again, like I said before, if there happens to be another subject out there, we'll we'll look at them as well and see if we can hold them accountable. And it was reported that uh, you guys were honing in on Valerie Mack and Karen Vergata in this case. Is it that Shannon Gilbert to the list of those two women that you're intensely looking at you know, their personal lives and whereabouts? Well, it's, it's all the uh, bodies that were discovered. Let's not rule out Peaches, the Tyler, the, the Asian male. I, you know, those were the names uh, that I shared with Tony, but it doesn't mean that uh we're not continuing to look at all the bodies that were discovered there but uh the ones right now that uh john has when it comes to uh, Ms. Regatta and when it comes to miss gilbert are the ones that we're going to take a closer look at and see if they're connected to our defendant yeah so i i know our district attorney should be doing announcement uh, real soon and uh he'll keep you advised regarding if there's a, a nexus uh, to the uh, to the DNA that was recovered, and if there, if there is a match. So this witness one said that Rex had sex with both the woman you think that you forgot of, and this other man, a Northeast detective. So knowing that indicates he's probably potentially bisexual. Does that make him more of a leading suspect in an Asian male? Listen, any anything is possible. Uh, but once again, is this? This is something that we need to investigate. And I'm sure everybody can understand uh, there's a judicial process still going on. There's uh, ongoing investigation. Now that this information has been provided to us, I can only share but so much, uh, but I will uh, reassure everybody here, we are not done with this investigation. I wanna make sure that that's very clear. John, can I ask you something? Well, I can't say he is, and I can't say he's not. I, he certainly reactivated interest in himself by what he did up on Bald Hill. Uh, 
which by the way, you should probably, you probably know that it's a notorious place for men picking up other men. I've represented several clients from that hill for that very same thing. And Burke was a street smart cop. He's even noted in his disciplinary record for being extremely street wise. He would have known what goes on up on that hill, but he also would have known the risk he was taking and he took it anyway. Burke, the risk taker emerges, first of all. And second of all, Burke, who is interested in men emerges, which is very much consistent with what I had said for years that he was cross-dressing when he was with some of my clients, including uh, uh, Loretta Rickenbacker, uh, and that he had that other interest. Do, the, do those other interests matter? Sure they do. If you're going to look at the old police department and see wh why did Burke get to where he went so easily, could it be that there's more sexual in, improprieties on higher levels than we originally thought? It's something that should be looked into. We don't know. Okay, thank you, everybody. Thank you. No. Yes, she contacted me after she saw uh, Rex Uriman on TV and Shannon Gilbert. And then she contacted me and then I went to see her and w she's from not from this state. That I don't know. I can't say she claimed that. I, I don't. I honestly don't remember what, whether I asked her that or not. All right, sorry. Thank you, everybody. All right, thanks, everybody. You're muted, Joe. Sorry about that, everyone. There you have it. Uh, that was the uh, accused Long Island serial killer, Rex Hurman, a uh, press conference uh, regarding some new information. Got to tell you, uh, I've covered uh, a gazillion press conferences. I don't know that I've ever heard a tale told like that uh, from two affidavits. And we're going to break that down. Um, you know, my dad took me to see a movie in the late 70s, early 80s called Fort Apache, the Bronx with Paul Newman. It was a uh, grungy New York City prostitutes. Uh, that's what that story sort of reminded me of, that era of New York City. Of course, John Ray is the attorney uh, who we just heard speak, standing by the Suffolk County Commissioner uh, Rodney Harrison. Um, John Ray wearing a pink striped hat with a pink polka dotted tie, quite the character uh, with a ponytail. Uh, just going to break down some of the information that we just heard. Uh, John Ray saying that there is, in fact, new information arising from witnesses who were unknown before. Four new witnesses. There are two affidavits or sworn testimony that is signed, um, and it regards both Shannon Gilbert's case and Karen Vergata's case. Again, Commissioner Rodney Harrison was standing by John Ray's side. Uh, John Ray says, says that the commissioner and he have been working together uh, over the better part of last year since this task force uh, was formed and that their collaboration has, quote unquote, bared fruit uh, and the co cooperation has given rise to more substantial evidence. We'll get into the details because there were plenty of them. Uh, but to you first, Joe Jackalone, uh, what jumped out at you about this lengthy uh, press conference? It went well over uh, a half hour as John Ray was going into detail about these two sworn affidavits. 
Yeah, it just goes to show you how important it is to identify your victims, right? So when you have a case like this and you have so many unidentified victims, if you can put a face to them and show the world, you know, who, who they were, you get people that come forward. And this is exactly what happens here. So they got the, you know, they identified Karen Vergata. They put out photos of her, what she looked like when she was younger, what she looked like when she was older. And that sparked people's memories. So that's that's basically uh, a great job done, you know, by the police in this respect. And it's just something that moving forward. Remember, we still have a, a few other uh, victims out there that were unidentified in this case. And who knows? We might spark some memories with them if they identify them. And Joe's talking about Peaches, who has a tattoo of the, the peach uh, on her chest, and uh, the Asian male. We still don't know uh, their identities. But, uh, Joe, um, for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about this attorney, John Ray, definitely a character. Uh, he said himself that he has stood as a civilian beacon if people are afraid of police. I can tell you from covering news, uh, when you go into certain areas, uh, people are not always willing to talk to you, uh, the media and the police. So he says that he has made himself available. What what kind of attorney is he? Um, you see this comment here from Caroline Ciano. John Ray has doggedly advocated for these women for years. Yep. He earned that outfit he was wearing today. Uh, tell us a little bit about John Ray. You just talked to him. You just had an interview with him on your channel. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've met John a number of times. I've interviewed him a number of times. And, you know, just recently, I said about nine days ago. And I, I always, when I talk about him, I, I always say without John Ray, there is no Long Island serial killer case say he has kept this case alive in the media for the better part of 13 years and he's represented shannon gilbert and then the sister when the sister had unfortunately killed the mother and he has been uh you know like he said a beacon right so he has actually kept this case moving forward and there was a lot of dark times in the suffolk county police department until you know the new commissioner comes in and basically tries to straighten out this ship so I think it's kudos all around, and what like we said earlier, right when we started, when the commissioner is there, right, we, you, can, you can anticipate some some big news was coming because he's in fact endorsing what was kind of going to come out of the lawyer's mouth. Uh, catch list saying literally reeling from that. I saw you guys had some questions, but I was too busy taking uh, copious notes. So if you guys have uh, additional questions, please feel to. I'm at the bottom of the chat here, and I will try to get them to our best guest. Look at McSpunky's at it again. This guy's an addict, addicted to giving out memberships. Love that. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, Phil Ramos, you've been in the game a long time. Um, this is quite the press conference. Tons of information. I told you guys I'd keep you a short time, but it's a lot to get through still. So I'm going to pick your brains for a little while. But what what jumped out at you about all that you just heard? Well, my first reaction was like that line from Jaws. You're going to need a bigger boat. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this this task force just got their workload doubled, maybe tripled. Um, and it just goes to show how much you don't know going into this. And, and stuff like this is just going to keep coming. So uh, many aspects to look into. Um, I, I, I'm shaking my head about the uh, apparent bisexuality aspect of Huberman and um, the swinger aspect. That That's a whole different world now that they're going to have to delve into to see how many incidents may have occurred during uh, encounters like that. And uh, like I said, these guys, these guys aren't going to get much sleep, man, because they're, they're going to be working and working and working. This whole new angle is going to bring in a whole bunch of other people to talk to. Um, I, I was trying to listen to uh, the corroboration that uh, Mr. Ray may have done that would credit 
the people that he had been interviewing, because that's something that you have to look at. You, you have to make sure that these people are being credible and, and that their veracity is what it should be. So um, the cops are going to have to um, really, really dig in and, and get as much as they can from, from these new witnesses. And uh, there very well could be more people coming forward with similar situations like this. Um, man, who, who, knows what's, who knows what Huberman has in his bag of tricks now? Mm. Uh, and Laura Cott, right? I'm not gonna bring the uh, comment up. It says bisexual? Question mark Did they say that about Rex? I believe that's what they said. Uh, and it wasn't. Um, it wasn't said in a very obvious way. It was sort of said in passing, and I wasn't sure that I heard it correctly. But it sounds like Rex, uh, according to this, did in fact like both men and women and slept with both. Catch Lisk here. Question for the legal experts. No attorneys today, but two incredible uh, investigative minds. Joe Jackalone, uh, he wants to know, is there any legal ramifications to Rodney Harrison basically rubber stamping what John Ray just said? No, the police department does what they're supposed to do. You, know, you have potential witnesses, you take their statements, and then you're going to just hand everything over to the district attorney. The district attorney is going to want more on these cases, right? Just a, a, a single ID witness, I don't think, you know, is going to hold a lot of uh, weight, so to speak. But like Phil was saying, if other people start coming forward and we start seeing a number of people corroborating the story, then I can see this, uh, you know, gaining some traction. But and the, and when the day is over, they still need evidence to be able to prove that somebody is involved in killing somebody else. And that's unfortunately where the, the real difficult part is going to come in. Uh, by the way, this has nothing to do with anything except Liz Gaspari, Gaspari Nutrition, Rich Gaspari, famous bodybuilder from the great state of New Jersey, used to work out at a place called Apollon, which was originally in my hometown, wondering if this is uh, got to be related. But she's saying, who knows? Uh, what people Hewerman had in his back pocket. Uh, Liz Gaspari, surviving the survivor at gmail.com. Um, when I was uh, about 100 pounds in 1980, I uh, would sometimes work out next to your husband or whoever he is, however he's related to you. Shouldn't say husband. Um, the COE is uh, yelling at me in the chat to recap. For those uh, who are just joining us, John Ray, the attorney for the victim's families, just held a press conference basically tying two more victims, potentially uh, Karen Vergata and Shannon Gilbert, to Rex Hewerman through two sworn affidavits and four different witnesses that he spoke to. Uh, let's get into some of the specifics of this. Um, Joe and Phil, you have some little bit of time? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So, um, I promised these guys about an hour, but we haven't even gotten into this. So the first witness, uh, this witness did, in fact, sign a sworn affidavit. Uh, according to John Ray, this person, this first witness is not a sex worker. And as John Ray said, had no reason to have bias. Uh, he did say this person was a sw uh, swinger, uh, had a sex partner. And this sex partner and this witness went to La Trapeze, which was a uh, well-known swingers hangout on 27th Street in Manhattan. And that's significant because Rex Sherman's office is in the mid-30s. Uh, the heyday was the late 90s. This is around the period of time when Karen Vergata went missing. Uh, the witness said she was dating a detective, presumably an NYPD detective, but who knows? This was around Valentine's Day 1996. Um, there was an ad when they were at this club for a party in Massapequa Park. That is where Rex Hewerman lives. Uh, the Boyfriend uh, picks up a girl. So this detective picks up this girl 
who had just gotten out of jail, according to John Ray, and looked disheveled. Um, Joe Jacalone, obviously, uh, the implication here, he went so far as to say it, that this disheveled person who just got out of jail was, uh, he believes, Karen Vergata. Again, I mean, this is obviously really significant. This puts her, um, if this story is corroborated, and this is a sworn affidavit, this puts Karen Vergata in Rex Huerman's home back then, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, I have lots of questions, right? I mean, the detective, uh, you know, meeting her and there's a lot of like, you know, unanswered questions in in regards to that whole situation. Give give me uh, if you're doing the interview now, what are what are the first couple of questions you're asking? Well, where did you meet her? Did you meet her at the precinct? Did you arrest her? I mean, was this was he part of of that, uh, you know, situation? Because if that's the case, they can easily identify her. Right. So if this uh, if this detective um, has, you know, interactions with her in regards to police work, then there's going to be a record of it. And they can then trace that back and actually try to find out the identity of this uh, the woman who they believe was uh, Karen Vagato. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions that need to be asked about that. And then the other thing is, too, I mean, she's running around. I think you know, John Ray said she was running around outside naked outside the house and we've all seen the house i mean the houses are on top of one another out there uh if she's screaming um you know i mean there, there could be some other uh, ear witness to something like this and you know the, the police have a lot of work to do to try to put this together i think the district attorney is going to you know just take a look at this and say you know this is great but he's going to need more yeah. um and I saw someone in the chat say, how on earth is this woman running around naked in that neighborhood and no one hears or sees anything? But um, it's possible. At, all, at one point, he also mentions, you know, a fire pit at two or three in the morning in a barrel. Uh, the minute I heard that, uh, Joe, I'm thinking uh, body disposal, you know, because I've seen too many datelines. Uh, did that raise your antenna at all? Well, just in the respect of, once again, I mean, you see how close that backyard is to somebody else, and you're not allowed to have open fires out on Long Island. So, um, you know, that would be interesting to see if any neighbors had ever seen an open fire like that, an open fire pit or in a barrel or what have you. Um, it wouldn't be that difficult to see if you just go to the, you know, the, the mapping, the Google Maps, and just take a look at his house and see how close the next neighbor is. Um, you know, you can verify that kind of information. But, you know, in my experience, I've seen people try to, get rid of uh, a body by burning it and it's it's extremely difficult to do it takes about 2000 degrees and a and a normal fire won't get that high even in cremation services there's things left over bones teeth you name it so it, it's unlike television in a lot of respects yeah i don't know why i know this but i used to be friends with the funeral director and i guess that's why and he told me it is next to impossible to incinerate a body um as you know he was explaining uh, the cremation process to me, the things that you know. A uh, hot pink thread actually summed this up really well. Uh, two signed affidavits from witnesses. One went to a swinger party at Rex's house with one victim. One taxi driver had experience with Rex and Shannon Gilbert, then was threatened by Rex. She should be a, a news anchor and a news reporter. She did it a lot better than I did. Um, here's another question. I mean, there's so many questions. Is a man Rex was swinging with the same cop caught in the park? Uh, that we don't know, but... Uh, there were some, uh, you know, there were some intimations made during this press conference. Let's leave it at that. But uh, Phil Ramos. So um, this is where I got a little lost. I have to be honest. Karen Vergata. So they're they're at Rex Huerman's house. You know, she's this disheveled woman 
that they pick up coming back from a swingers club, this woman who spoke to John Ray and she was dating a detective and they go into the house and Karen Vergata disappears, according to this witness, downstairs. And then a couple minutes later, Rex disappears downstairs. The witness says she speaks to Rex's wife, which is interesting. So she's obviously home. Asa Ellerip, according to this report, is home. Uh, the witness, from what I understand, was uh, an African-American woman, and Rex did not like that, uh, and he did not want to be with her, and that's why she was upstairs talking. Um, there's a lot to unravel just right there. I mean, the fact that, uh, uh, you know, w- we we don't have any uh, African-American victims, Joe, as far as I know, right? Uh, Peaches, I believe, is African-American. She oh, she is? Found in, yeah, okay. she was found in Hempstead um, Lake State Park, so... Okay, so we have peaches then. Um, but Phil Ramos, to you, um, what do you make of the fact? Uh, and this is a a big uh, red flag to me that uh, Rex Sherman's wife is at home. It means she obviously knows what kind of stuff he's up to. Um, is that alarming to you? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I think that we might be just kind of splitting hairs here because. While she may have been aware of the sexual pranks that they were involved in, obviously they were both involved if they went to this party and went to the swingers club. She may be under the impression that this was all just, you know, sexual playing and it didn't cross the line and turn into, you know, masochistic murder that that apparently it did. Um, She's going to have to be talked to quite a bit. Just exactly what did you know? What was your impression? Um, okay, so you're in the swinger lifestyle. We don't care about that. But how far did it go? And did your husband ever exhibit any tendencies that he wasn't satisfied with just the sexual aspect of it? He wanted to take it into a violent, life-threatening, injuring people level. And did you know about that? So um, I I don't know how cooperative she's been with the cops when when all this broke and, and whether she still is. But the fact that this has come to light, they're going to they're gonna have to talk to her again, because if she was there at the time when the sexual plane was going on, how do we know that she wasn't there when the fatal aspect came into play? Uh, thinking like uh a retired homicide detective. Um, Christine Brennan says the whole bisexual thing would make him more likely to have killed the Asian male. That's interesting. Joe Jackalone uh, followed here by um, a question for you from Joan. Uh, Joe, I never understood why they gave a pass on the wife's hair on victims defaulted to transfer. Then why no transfer of either adult child or Rex hair? Uh, suddenly I can feel the court of public opinion shifting against Asa Ellerip. Uh, there's obviously a GoFundMe set up for her. People are saying to back off, but now it looks like she's going to come under the spotlight, uh, pretty quickly and swiftly again. Um, what do you make of this, that she was home at the time, Joe? Well, uh, here's, here's what I remember, right? So we had the district attorney say that she was not home during the, when the, the three girls known, you know, as part of the Gilgo four, that they that she was out of town for those cases. He didn't say she was out of town anytime else on all of those things, but he made a point to talk about. It. He also said that she was had been cleared. And if I have to look back, but if he might have said in those cases, that could open up a whole other avenue. And just because the police or the district attorney says somebody's cleared, 
in Philadelphia, that means absolutely nothing. Sometimes the police will do this just to keep the person calm and cooperating, and this way they can still keep, you know, keep an open line of communication. If we see, because she has a lawyer, right, that's been working in her on her behalf. If we see them say there's no more public statements, we're not talking with the police anymore. This thing might take a really um, weird turn. Let's let's just let's just call it that way. Yeah. Um, by the way, Liz Gaspari, that's right. Same husband. That's amazing. Tell your husband, Rich Gaspari, that um, friends with Robert Samborski, the current owner of a pond gym. If you guys knew how big Rich Gaspari, Google Rich Gaspari, one of the larger human beings you'll ever see in your life, neither here nor there, but a small world. Uh, Laura Waldy, thank you. Just gifted five memberships, best guest, better community. Um, Joe Jackalone, this story that we just heard about these four witnesses, just your gut instinct as a veteran uh, NYPD uh, retired sergeant, you buying what these people had to say or no? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, especially the taxi cab driver. He has no reason to lie. And like she's got no skin in the game. She's just realizing now when this guy's face came up. Listen, he is a very difficult person to forget. He's a giant. He's huge. If you saw him, you know, before, you would definitely remember him. So it's it's kind of interesting to see how this is all coming to play. And I think that the investigators have done a, you know, this task force has done a great job putting this thing together. And think about it, how quickly they put this thing together when it was pretty much stalled for nearly 13 years. Yeah. Uh, Emily says uh, Rex holding a gun to the taxi driver makes some sense with how many guns he had and how he may have controlled his victims. Uh, Phil Ramos, what did you make of that? You know, uh, John Ray said that he hunted his victims. Uh, Looks like he was using some kind of small caliber handgun uh, to intimidate them. Uh, Does this, you know, ratchet up the investigation even more? Does it take it to a different level? Because Prior to this, we thought it was probably asphyxiation. Um, how does it change the course of the investigation, if at all? Well, we don't know, really, because we don't know just how far the cops have gotten with it. Um, there's certainly a, a, a psychosexual aspect to Huberman and, and what he's doing. So the fact that he's known to have the, the many, many weapons that he did have and that he was displaying them and using them to get what he wanted at times, um, there, there's a there's a couple personalities inside this man's head and I'm surprised they haven't gone there. His attorney hasn't gone there asking for a psychological evaluation from the courts uh, because this man's not right in the head. You know, you can, you can have sexual fantasies and you can have aspects of your life that you'd rather not share with anybody, but there's something dark inside him. Um, Like, like there are with, with many, many, many serial killers. There is a dark aspect to them. And, um, you know, going to the veracity of the witnesses, I absolutely, I, I concur 100% with Joe. They, I mean, they absolutely believe what they said in their affidavits. No doubt about that. 100% they believe that. How accurate their memories are and how accurate those beliefs are, that's going to be up to the cops to be able to corroborate and say, yeah, this actually, in fact, happened. ABC did happen. We're not too sure about DE enough. But these people are very sincere and they believe everything that they're saying. The cops have to be able to prove that. Um, And just to take that a step further, Phil. So, I mean, if this was going to be prosecuted, if they were going to bring in Karen Vergata and Shannon Gilbert as victims of Rex Hurman's, what what other steps do investigators have to take? Um, And, you know, eyes dotted and T's crossed. 
for this to be able to be prosecuted beyond just these sworn affidavits? Yeah, that, 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 that's going to be up to the DA, to the prosecutor to tell the cops, we need more than what you have, and this is what we need. Um, you know, many times we think we've got enough to, you know, take it to a jury and, and the, you know, the, the prosecutors are going to say, no, you don't, that's not quite enough. I need, I need a little bit more of this and I need a little bit more of that. Um, and, and like I said, that, that, that's going to be part of their workload. They're, they're, they're going to be trying to <laughs> spread themselves thin. Hopefully that task force will get a couple more people on it because there's just a whole lot of work that's going to have to be done to corroborate all this stuff. And, and, um, Man, I don't, I don't see a trial for a while in this. With all these developments, th this is this is really going to push a trial back a ways. Uh, Bun Bun says, no, nobody said Rex cross-dressed. I have to be honest, uh, that um, press conference was mind-spinning for me. I was just taking note after note, and uh, I have to go back and re-watch it. Um, but this person is saying, no, nobody said Rex cross-dressed. That was Burke. That is the uh, former Suffolk County uh, head of police who was uh, forced to uh, resign and recently got arrested. He was caught cross-dressing with his crack-addicted ex-girlfriend. Um, Joe Jackalone, just to get back to this house the night with the first witness. So this witness says that Karen Vergata, who she believes was Karen Vergata, disappears downstairs. Rex disappears downstairs. The witness talks to Rex's wife. The witness and the date leave so the witness and the detective from the uh swingers club leave they look back in the window uh they see this woman uh karen vergata struggling uh she looks not well or not right and uh the witness this woman uh says to the detective you know what's going on is she okay and, and he says to her don't worry they're just playing a game and she asks again she doesn't look okay don't worry they're playing a game uh they leave um, this is where I got confused about whether or not they switched partners because it said the witness ended up having intercourse earlier in the day with Rex Huerman. Did, did you follow all that? I got confused there. Yeah, I, I heard that part. There's a, there's a little bit of, um, I think from what, uh, you know, John was telling the story, I think he might've maybe gotten a little confused on that part, but like, for instance, they, the, on the affidavit, this woman spells out that. Uh, the woman that they took was already disheveled and she was already. So, I mean, I, these are, these are, you know, more questions like, you know, what made you think that this was a good idea to leave this person behind? And does this uh, police officer or whoever he is, you know, I know they use the word detective, right? That becomes an important aspect of this because we do know that Burke was a uh, police officer in New York city uh, for a while, uh, but not a detective. But the issue that you know comes down to is that there is there's a lot of questions on decisions that were made. Let's put it that way. Whoever this girl was, and if it happens to be that they find out who it was and nothing happened to her, there's still lots of questions. Like, why would you leave somebody like this behind? Yeah, and, and Phil Ramos, just to round out witness one, and then we'll go through the rest uh, quickly. But um, John Ray says that this witness uh, who has was dating this detective. Then together they picked up uh, Karen Vergata and ended up in Rex Huerman's house, says that she forgets about all this until this news breaks and she sees Rex Huerman on TV. And as Joe just pointed out, he's an enormous guy. I like to say he's six foot four in every direction. Uh, so this witness comes forward. She did three interviews with John Ray that lasted a total of nine hours. Um how much more information do you think they have that they're not sharing with us? Because it seemed like they shared an awful lot. 
Yeah, there's going to be a certain amount of holdback, like like we always talk about, um, because they're trying to corroborate this stuff. But you know, the one thing that did, that I did notice and, and doesn't fit was that so they're on their way to this swingers party and they run across this disheveled, unkept woman who was a sex worker and they pick her up and take her to this party. So it doesn't make sense to me that you're going to take some dirty, disheveled person that just got out of jail to a sex party. I mean, why? Why would you do that? They're, they're, you know, if you look, if you look ahead, who's who's going to want to have sex with a dirty, disheveled person, especially you know a, a sex worker, which doesn't not imply anything about sex workers. But if you're going to a sex party. I, I, I would imagine you want to be fresh and clean. Um, these are amazing points. I'm just reading the comments as we go through them, but. I, I love talking to guys like Phil and Joe uh, during these news conferences because they're just breaking things down. Um, I'm just, you know, I've seen a lot, but I'm still just naive. These guys are uh, used to being on street patrols. They know everything. Uh, and Phil just raised an excellent point. This woman is disheveled, dirty. Why are they bringing her there? There might be another reason as to why uh, they were bringing her over to the Rex Shurman's house uh, for this, you know, continued sex tryst. Um Joe, back to you on this, not to beat a dead horse here, but Helen McMullen, does this implicate Asa in any criminal way, in your opinion, at least from what you know so far? Well, just yeah, just from what we know so far, I, I don't think you can answer that question because, I mean, just because she knows about what he's doing, that doesn't make her an accomplice to murder, right? So, um, you know, we, we need, we're going to need a lot more information before anybody can, can cast that judgment down for sure. And then, Joe, from Catch List, from a political perspective, Harrison is standing there alone. Ray Tierney, the DA, nowhere to be found. How exposed politically is Harrison now? Seems like a line has been drawn. Uh, this is a little more inside baseball and off the beaten path. But, uh, Joe, I know you're tapped into what's going on in Suffolk County. Uh, was it you know, odd for you to see the commissioner there, but not the DA standing by his side? Yeah, no, I'm I'm not worried about that because the district attorney has held his own press conferences without the police commissioner there too. As so as um, uh, Toulon, the head of the sheriff's department out there, he's held his own press conferences and done his own news interviews without having anybody else there too. Um, like I had said earlier, in respect of that, the the police here are doing what they're supposed to do. That you find information, you interview your witnesses, you hand over that information to the district attorney. And I I, I had said that the district attorney is going to say they're going to want more on that specific thing. But you know what? They have a starting point now, which they didn't have before, and that's that's the huge thing. And it all comes because they identified Taryn Vagata and put her picture out in the media. All right, so let's move on to uh, witness two here. This is the second witness, according to John Ray, uh, the attorney for the victim's families. He says the second witness is neither a sex worker nor a uh, swinger. Uh, so he says there was nothing for this person to gain, no book, no money, uh, wasn't someone who was pursuing fame. Uh, by the way, none of the witnesses' names have been uh, released. They're going to be redacted in the affidavit to protect their identity. Uh, this witness says that uh, they were very disturbed. Uh, they also saw Rex and now Shannon Gilbert. This is dealing with Shannon Gilbert on TV, and that's what prompted them to come over, uh, forward. This person's a banker by day and a taxi driver in Suffolk County, uh, where Rex Sherman lives by night. She gets a call, or this person gets a call to the Sayville Motor Lodge, um, which was recently busted for prostitution and notorious kind of. Uh, hooker hangout. Uh, they're told there's a girl waiting in a bathroom. 
that girl wants the cab to honk and beep so uh, she can come out. Um, the, the man comes out covering his face. They describe that man as a, as a giant of a human being, presumably Rex Hurman, runs to an SUV. The cab continues to honk. The woman runs out shaking, uh, and then they take her to the uh, train station. Uh, this is presumed to be Shannon Gilbert. Uh, what did you make of the story up to that point, Joe, that uh, she requests a uh, cabbie to the motel? Hewerman runs out. He's covering his face. She's a mess. She's shaking. She's scared to death. What do you make of it so far? Yeah, I, I actually um, I like this story in that respect because, like I said, you have this person getting involved with really zero skin in the game. She's been keeping this to herself for, uh, you know, 13 years or so. Uh, and then with Rex's, uh, you know, once, you know, once that picture comes out and listen, you know, investigating cold cases in New York City for uh, for many years, like I did, when you talk to people, sometimes you ask them, like, what took you so long? You know, there's, there's sometimes there's fear. There's, there's other issues that are at play. You know, they're worried about maybe losing a job if they have to go to court and all the other things that go on with it. And then something happens and they carry this guilt with them for a long period of time. And then something finally triggers it. And they say, you know what? I need to get this off my chest. I've had people tell me that, I, you know, for 20 years, I've been waiting for you to knock on my door. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's just part of the course. And like they always say, the only dumb question is the one not asked. So I think that's what we see here from, from law enforcement, right? Yeah. They're asking the questions and they're asking the information. Uh, Joe just popped out for one second there, but, um, Jersey Girl Shore, a few people corrected me to tell me that the wife, Asa Ellerup, didn't want to be involved with the black woman. It wasn't Rex, so maybe I misunderstood that. Uh, maybe that is why Rex did have sex with her uh, in the afternoon, because that's what was mentioned by John Ray, that he had slept with her earlier. But some of that's not making sense to me, because they were coming from this swingers club. But we are on to witness number two here, uh, who, again, uh, there's an affidavit, a signed affidavit by this witness number two, uh, Phil Ramos. Um, John Ray tells us that this victim, too, that the, the girl who she picks up at the motel was servicing, quote unquote, servicing the big man, uh, points out that Shannon Gilbert at this time, uh, she had her mother, her sister, a boyfriend at the time. Uh, he says that this girl turned out to be, he believes, Shannon Gilbert. Uh, he tells a story that Rex Shurman tells her, here's a thousand dollars for your family uh, before they got underway for their uh, their sexual meeting at this motel. She looks at the envelope. It's stuffed with paper. That's when she runs into the bathroom to hide from him. And uh, he reportedly gets really angry. Um, And then John Ray just goes on to say that this girl who was in the bathroom had a droopy eye. And that's a trait of Shannon Gilbert's uh, part of the family. Um, What do you make of this story? Um, I don't know how this witness and I'm not questioning them, but I'm just curious how would this witness know that Rex gets this angry? Obviously she was told that by the, by Shannon Gilbert, if this all happened, but um, what do you read into this? Are you buying this story that um, she's terrified hiding in the bathroom, waiting for this cab driver to honk at her? Yeah. I mean, I'm buying 90, 95% of this, but the part that uh, to us doesn't make sense because we're hearing it right now with an objective point of view is that, Maybe her memory isn't exactly what it, it should be, or maybe she remembers things differently. Um, you know, that, that's kind of a weird thing that he would stuff paper in an envelope and tell her that it's money. I don't know what the point of that was. Maybe he's trying, to, maybe he was feeling a little bit guilty about what he did. 
uh, and trying to appease her, and, he, and he's getting a vibe from her that um, you know she's going to take off and, and uh, call the cops or something. He's going to get in trouble. So that that you know that just goes back to you know, what kind of a weird guy Huberman is, and um, what's the point of doing that? I, it doesn't make any sense. But I, you know, you know, like I said, um, the, these witnesses are are sincere and. But with that sincerity, you know, Joe, tell you, eyewitnesses can be your worst witnesses because they'll remember things completely different. Two people standing next to each other see the same incident and they tell the cops and you think that they looked at two different incidents. So it, it's um, it's going to go it's going to boil down to how much of the statements and affidavits can the cops corroborate and prove. And if they can't. They may not. They may not be used in court because if you if this if they get called into court, and their veracity comes into question or their memory comes into question, it could be bad for the prosecution because a defense attorney, sharp defense attorney, is going to tear them up, and, and you don't want that to happen. No, you yeah. definitely don't want that to happen. Miss uh, Miss Wheelas, so you come to us from Scotland. Totally unfair to start finger pointing at Asa, the wife, uh, just because she was in the swing uh, in on the swingers' lifestyle does not mean she knew of anything else going on in Rex's weird world. Um, Followed by this comment, Asa is not innocent. So suddenly the court of public opinion split on uh, Asa. Joe, did you want to say something? Yeah, no, just from what, you know, just piggybacking what, what Phil said on that, you know, th there is the chances of coming in with a single ID witness on anything without any evidence to back it up. I don't think the district attorney is going to even uh, bring it up. I mean, I, I don't think I don't even see them coming into the courtroom. Uh, that kind of thing. They need some sort of physical evidence. Now, remember, they tore apart that entire house from the bottom to the top. We have, uh, we have, we're still waiting to see if there was storage facility. We're still waiting to see anything that came from his vehicles. So there's a lot of other unanswered questions about evidence. And listen, maybe he kept a uh, a trophy, so to speak, right? A driver's license or hair clipping or what have you. I mean, these are all things that can, you know, of course, pure speculation. But these are the kind of things. And Phil will tell you that from detectives, this is what they're going to look for when they're doing a search warrant like this. Uh, and this has uh, grabbed the attention of the whole world. Hi, Joel. This is so interesting. I've got so many questions. Thank you for bringing it to me in South Africa. Uh, so watching it all over the world. Uh, so just to round out witness number two, um, Joe Jacklone, back to you on this. Um, the cab driver recognizes um, this is now a second incident uh, where um, – this is now a second call. Uh, this cab driver's out uh, now in the fall of 2009. Say, I guess gets called that a man named Matt, who's presumably Rex Hurman, would be waiting by a bar. Um, she says she sees a girl in the window at this bar, and then a huge man dressed in camo comes out. She recognizes him as the same man from that prostitution motel. He says to the cab driver he wants to drive into the woods. This is a different location. Uh, and gets angry and threatens to kill her. Uh, and this is a direct quote from John Ray. Uh, Rex Hurman reportedly said to witness number two, I already want to kill you. Give me a reason. Uh, Joe Jacklone, that's pretty chilling. Again, we're hearing about this uh, small caliber weapon that he's carrying. Uh, what do you make of that part of this? Well, one thing I think Phil backed me up on this. We don't believe in coincidences, right? So when you have the, the same cab driver gets gets you know this is the second time now she's got to run in with Rex you know maybe Rex was uh, taking a chance and with the cab same cab company to try to see if he can get this woman again because she saw him uh, at the last incident and that could have been you know a loophole for him uh, in the from the beginning of this case uh, it was said that there was only one person involved 
for all these all these deaths and just that the evidence was going to be the hardest part to be able to prove that and the reason that is because of these women remember which were um, dismembered many of them in the beginning including karen bagata and peaches and valerie mack and and uh, jessica taylor you know pieces of them found in manorville and hempstead and the rest of them are found in gilgo uh you know and what changed the internet changed his mo changed because he was able to now pick girls up online and didn't need to pick them off the street and where somebody might have seen them and they might have you know, okay because once again if you think about it, it makes sense he's such a big man people rarely forget when you run into somebody like this and i think that's the situation here with the taxi cab driver let me uh, jump in real quick yeah, and ask go ahead. Your, did they run a cadaver dog in the backyard yeah they had the cadaver dogs they actually excavated the whole thing so they, um, oh, okay. yeah, they, they brought in the excavator and they took out the whole backyard. Originally, they had just done the deck. And then next thing you know, there was backhoes coming in and everything else. So they, they even took apart the, the tub um, because if you're going to dismember somebody, yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it in your right. house, where are you going to do it? The tub. So they, they took out the yeah. whole base to see if maybe there was blood seeped through the tile um, or the, um, you know, the grout. So, I mean, people say, like, yeah. why, why, did they, why did they break up the tub? That's exactly why they broke up the tub. And yeah. and listen, I, I'll bring this up again. The ME getting called to the storage facility, right? Very odd. You just don't call the ME to a storage facility unless you find something that could be human remains or something to deal with that. You yep. just don't, you know, it's like, hey, yep. why don't you come down and take a look at the, you know, the, the, the boxes of old comic books we found. You know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, Winnie Lombard here says, uh, this is sitting weird with me, uh, Phil Ramos. Just the fact that the police chief, Rodney Harrison, or whatever he is, his commissioner, is speaking along with or working with a weird lawyer. Uh, he might look a little odd as a character, but I think he's a pretty bright guy. They're putting too much out there, not normal. Do you think too much information was revealed today, Phil, from an investigative well, standpoint? That hat, man. <laughs> yeah. Hat. yeah. I dig that hat, but... Um, <laughs> You know, it's all relative. It's, it's relative to how much information they have um, percentage-wise to how much they gave out. What may seem like they gave out a lot of information, um, I agree that it, it seems like it's more than normal, but they may have a whole lot of information already that they haven't given out, and this is just a tip of it. You know, um, And things like this are going to continue to happen in this case because they're just going to keep coming up with stuff. They're going to keep coming up with information, evidence, witnesses, uh, scenarios, and, and if they release a little bit at a time, then um, okay. I, I, I don't have a problem with what they gave out. I agree it seemed like it was a lot, but I think they've got a lot more coming or they've got a lot more in the bag that they're not going to let out. Can I piggyback mm -hmm. on that? 100%. They're also, I think, do. trying to show, because remember, you're dealing with a, a, a group of people who don't want any interaction with the police at all. And I think they're trying to assuage the fear that if you help us and cooperate, that we're going to be locking you up and forcing you to do all these other things that you don't want to do, right? End up in rehab or what have you. And I think it's they're showing the public and because there could be many of these sex workers out there who refuse to come forward. And I think they're trying to give them a, you know, a quote unquote safe space to say, and even the commissioner even said it, if you don't want to come to us, come to Ray or somebody else. Right. I mean, they, they threw that out there and that's what kind of set off my antennas. Um, this one's for you, Joe, from Sniper 79 YT. 
question, will the NYPD have records going back that far to see if Karen Vergata was arrested, because you hear she was disheveled, and released on said date supplied by the witness? Are they already doing that, Chuck? Yeah, I think they already have that information. And it's just not the police department. It would also be central booking, right, which is a total different system. So everybody who gets arrested, whether they get a, a disappearance ticket or they get sent down to central booking, there's records and fingerprints on everything. So I wouldn't worry about that. How far do these records go back if you're looking oh for uh, an arrest date? Oh, we had books that I, I'd go to just like, you know, if I was on a lunch break, we had books that go back to the 1930s. And just to, just to interesting to go through <laughs> these things. So, no, this, this stuff is there. Uh, you know, just a quick thing, like when I was a sergeant in the 73 precinct in East New York, Brownsville, uh, they had all the, the Murder Inc. stuff that was back there because it was it was located right in Brownsville, Murder Incorporated. So I would look. That's Mike Tyson's Mike, Mike Tyson's, Tyson's hometown. Yeah, I spent four years in that precinct, but there's a lot of history in regards to the, the, the mob there. So it was just interesting. So, yeah, these things exist. That's what Joe Jacqueline does on his lunch break. If you're wondering, he looks at uh, arrest books to see who was arrested and when. Um, just to round out real quickly, witness two. Um so he says, I already want to kill you. Give me a reason. Uh, the dispatcher then chimes in, uh, claiming that they saw him. So he gets uh, spooked and runs away. Uh, cab driver ro- drives away. But then Rex reportedly goes into the woods and fires his weapon. Um, that's just odd to me. And again, that's I don't know if he did it right in front of this cab driver. Um, but Nancy Drew here, if you care to comment on that, Phil. But Nancy Drew says, the detective from the swingers club has to answer a lot of questions. Find this guy, Phil. Um, this was uh, nine, you know, in the late nineties. There's a chance this guy's dead. Pretty good chance he's still alive. But um, have they found this guy? Are they looking for this guy right now. They're trying to pinpoint exactly who he is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, and that's that. I mean, Nancy Drew is absolutely right. The, the detective does have a lot of questions to answer. Um, you know, whether you agree or disagree with that type of lifestyle, it, it's, it's a moral aspect. And um, a lot of people uh, don't participate in that kind of activity. Most most people don't, but there's, you know, there's a certain amount of people that do. And uh, it's just a different, different lifestyle. But it's something that does, I mean, this detective does have to answer the question about how do you, how do you know this lady that was coming out of, uh, was it Regatta that was coming out of the jail that they took to the party? Um, that would be a question I have. How do you know her and why did you take her? I mean, you know, she's, uh, getting out of jail, just got out of jail for whatever charges and you decide to pick her up and take her to a sex party. What, what's that all about? Um, because if it happened that one time, probably not the one and only time it happened. Hmm. Um, Rafina Mendez says after listening to this press conference the wife is not the victim she's an accomplice followed here by Kathy Hummel Phil it isn't about how the sex worker looked it's what they could do to her how they could take advantage of her sexual predators and killers it's about the power you know this uh, Phil Ramos you want to rebut that please well it depends on what what he had in mind um Sex workers, by nature, are going to present their best appearance so that they draw their clients to them, right? So a sex worker isn't going out there and, and try and pick up dates and johns by looking nasty. That doesn't work. Um, 
not a question their lifestyle. You know, that's that's not for us to judge. You know, the sex workers get involved in that lifestyle for various reasons. It, 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 most of them, it's a hard choice for them to make. But uh, out here, you know, Vegas has its reputation for having a lot of sex workers out here, and and we do. But I've never seen a dirty, disheveled one. Hmm. Um, just Samantha says, uh, Joe, uh, to you, wow, bombshells. I put the spotlight on Ace of the Wife. This, I think, to make her talk, tell everything. Was this some sort of ploy or plot to leverage something against Ace to get her to open up a little bit more potentially, Joe? Well, that's a dangerous game you're playing because, like I said before, if she already has a lawyer and if the lawyer just says, well, you know what? If you're going to be looking at her, or the focus is now on her as being accomplished, that's it. You're not going to talk to her anymore unless I'm present and I'm not going to let you talk to her. So it is It is just uh, – if they did that, boy, that was a gamble. And I don't know if that's – if anything, you want to keep her on your side um, unless you think that she was an, an actual participant in the actual murders too. Then it's a whole other ball game. But we don't know anything that has to do with that. And anything that comes out of that is just pure speculation on a lot of people's part. And right now, we're getting information that we've never gotten before. So for, for nearly 13 years, we got nothing, right? So in the last you – know, now it's like if we don't get in a press conference every week, people are like, I'm not telling us anything, right? So, yeah, we everybody just needs to be patient. And I would avoid pointing fingers at anybody or anything or involvement because it's it's not fair, um, you know, until they can – until officials come out and say – this is the evidence against her and this is what we're doing and, and and they're being charged. I think we need to just back off on that. And uh, Michelle Abbott echoing that saying, I think we need more information before convicting his wife. Uh, I would have to agree with that. So two other witnesses, I promise we'll go faster here and let these two guys uh, get on their way because they both carry uh, guns and I don't want any trouble from either of them. So uh, the third witness is from Oklahoma City. Uh, this, again, according to attorney John Ray, who's an attorney for the victim's families, uh, he says that uh, this third witness has not made a statement yet. He did say that uh, this person is a streetwalker, presumably a prostitute, gets picked up by Rex in Queens, presumably also a female. Uh, Rex, according to this uh, story, makes her keep her head down. Again, he has a pistol. He says, don't do anything except what I tell you to do. Uh, and he says, get me another customer. She gets in another car. She then swerves that car. The cop stops them uh, and, and is asking questions. And then somehow Rex sort of scampers away. Uh, Joe, is that how you understood this story? It's I got a little confused yeah. when she flags down the detective who's in what car. Um, this was a lot of information. So you're going to have to go back and, and I'm going to have to go back yeah. and really um, – the, you know, read the uh, the the fine details on this. But what did you make? Yeah, of that? it seems as if he has her get out of the car and finding a find another John uh, for whatever reason. I don't know. You know, we'll ne- we'll never know if we unless he tells us. But uh, then she sees a police car and then she grabs the steering wheel so that the police are alerted that might something go wrong. And then he he or partner usually it's always two cops in the car. In New York City and this sounds a lot like the one ten precinct. And the reason why is because. Uh, they talked about the mall in Corona there. Uh, they talked about there's a park and you got Flushing Meadow Park right there. And that's all the 110 precinct because I worked there also. So, um, you know, that's pretty much and it's a it's huge areas there. But, uh, and there's been known parking spots. 
And well, Joe, let me ask you a question. I mean, let's say this, I and mean, this is back, I think, in 2009. He's talked about this third witness, if I'm right on the dates there. I'm not 100% sure, but just assuming for the sake of argument, this did happen in 2009. Would you be able to remember as a detective, you know, in that precinct about someone swerving and coming out of their car and making some sort of scene? I mean, would you remember it because Rex Sherman is his big a guy as he is, or is that something that you don't think you would be able to recall? My question is, can they go and find this officer? I think it would be extremely difficult to find this officer. And I'd probably be, you know, listen, I, I, I don't remember every interaction I ever had while I was working. Um, you know, there are certain things that do stand out. And, you know, if maybe I came face to face with a guy who was six foot four and 300 pounds, uh, you know, I might remember that incident. But the um, the issue that comes down to is that case, that, that part to me is less important as trying to find out who that other detective was that maybe took Karen Vergata out of jail, right, and, and brought her to the – I think that case there is is more important to, to discover who that person is because um, there's a lot of unanswered questions there. A fourth and final witness, um, also uh, Phil Ramos – uh, John Ray says comes from another state. Uh, I don't think they mentioned which state. Also, the fourth witness is a sex worker. Keep in mind, the third and the fourth witnesses did not sign sworn statements. Um, this fourth witness was apparently in the New York City area when these killings occurred. She, we presume it's a she, uh, serviced Rex over 20 times sexually. Um, and he brought this up to say that Rex is a serial user of sex workers and again said that i think when she was servicing rex that the wife asa ellerip was once again at home upstairs um john ray went on to say that there's plenty of other new evidence that's similar in kind uh related to what he had presented earlier in the day but what do you make of this that this one witness the witness the fourth witness said that she serviced rex over 20 times and that he's a serial serial user of sex workers and that the wife once again was at home. What does this tell you about his uh, MO, his mo you know, modus operandi in terms of hunting his victims? Well, clearly he's, uh, as part of his personality, he, he's probably a sex addict and, and this is his chosen fantasy or uh, habit on, on, uh, patronizing prostitutes for for whatever reason um it clearly that, that that's a habit of his and uh, and who knows for how long it's been happening um his wife may or may not have history on that we don't know how much she knew but we apparently it has come to light that she was there in the house while he was engaging in act, sexual activities with prostitutes and and um you know that's something that she's going to have to answer uh well, I shouldn't say she has to answer. The only way they're going to get an answer about her tolerance of that is to find out from her. And and it absolutely doesn't mean that she was involved in any of the murders. But it certainly makes you think that why would she not say something or why would she stay with her husband while he's, you know, having sex with prostitutes in the house and she's upstairs doing whatever she was doing? You know, that that's... um. It's not, it's not a typical behavior that you would expect from someone that's engaged in that kind of lifestyle. It, 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 in my view, it's very unusual to be tolerant of that kind of activity in a, in a marriage. Uh, then, Joe, if I heard this correctly, John Ray said he had just taken Joseph Brewer's deposition uh, and said he's the John from the Shannon Gilbert case. Are you uh, aware of this? How recently was that? 
Well, he had said he had just finished there earlier in the day. He had taken um, the deposition from Joe Brewer. If people don't know who Joe Brewer was, he was the one that hired Shannon Gilbert on the night she disappeared. Um, there's another name there. I'm surprised he didn't mention, uh, meaning John Ray, but we'll leave that out for now. But the issue that comes down to is, um, you know, we know that there are a number of the victims were in contact with Rex or Rex was in contact with them for their services multiple times. Even so, at least two, maybe possibly three of the Gilgo four, he was able to convince them to leave their cell phones behind that night that they disappeared. So that would mean to tell me that, yes, he had engaged in uh, hiring these women a number of times that they felt comfortable enough to spend the night or whatever. He convinced them that they were going to do that night. Shout out to Catch List for becoming a member of the show. Appreciate that. If you don't follow him on Twitter, um, you should. Uh, he puts out a lot of good information about this. Uh, we'll wind up uh, here. Um, Phil Ramos, uh, the commissioner, Rodney Harrison, as we mentioned, from Suffolk County, was present, which some people thought was interesting. Uh, and he was asked uh, what he thought, basically, of all this and uh, these other witnesses uh, and these sworn affidavits. And he says that he does not want to make Rex Hurman, this was a direct quote, I don't want to make him a prime suspect yet in these cases. Uh, he did mention that there are two more investigators now added to the task force as a result of it, uh, all this information. Earlier, you stole the line from Jaws and said, we're going to need a bigger boat. Um, what is Rodney Harrison doing? What are these investigators doing right now while we're doing this YouTube show? What, what are their next steps? Following up on all this information, uh, you know, I, I would imagine that uh, the two new investigators were pretty uh, up to date on the status of the investigation as it is, and they're just jumping right in. And he's gonna—he's not gonna just give the task force two guys that aren't paying that much attention to the case. So um, there, there's a big list that they have to follow up on, and and, and that's what they're doing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit unable to speak to all of it because I, I'm not familiar with, with this uh, background that I'm hearing from you guys about um, ineffective leadership in the past. And, and that was a little unusual for the current commissioner to be there. Um, out here, we don't have co press conferences like that invo involving our department leader, our department head, without at least somebody, some other members of the staff or the prosecutor's office. So not being able to uh, understand what all that background is that you guys are aware of. Um, I got to give kudos to this, to the commissioner, because it, it's, it, it's obvious to someone that's not familiar with all of that background that he's on it, man. And he's going to make sure that his people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, Joe Jackalone. Um, I'm, I'm exhausted. It's the third show in uh, a matter of hours. Uh, so is he, so I won't even try the name here, but I'm sure present something. I don't know. Anyway. So is he suddenly not so interested in sex? Where are the recent witnesses? Uh, this person, you know, basically saying uh, he must've been doing this. You heard police say when they arrested him that they thought he was moving back in potentially uh, to commit some, uh, uh, you know, crimes of violence against uh, sex workers. Um, but what do you say to this person who's kind of beating the drum? You know, where are these uh, more recent witnesses? I mean, it takes a lot of police legwork to get there, doesn't it? Well, certainly. I mean, you're looking at a, about an 11 year gap between when the last victim is found and when the time was arrested. Right. So what was he doing in those 11 years? And if, you know, did he just stop? I mean, I don't think he stopped in, in that respect. Uh, maybe he found a new location. But, you know, remember, the police don't 
tell the public anything unless they have to, right? If the public was in danger, then they have to say something. But if there's no danger, they're not going, you know, they're going to keep that stuff close to the vest. Uh, they're not going to let that out. So do I think that they've investigated um, or interviewed women who have come forward about the last 12 years worth of things? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, and, and go ahead. If so, I can jump in on that real quick. Yeah, um, serial, kill, serial killers are notorious for their pattern behavior. Everything, they, they follow a pattern. And we've seen it with BTK. We saw it with the Green River Killer. It's not something they do all the time, regularly, every weekend or once a month. Whenever, you know, that chemical imbalance kicks in, they go out and do their thing. But that doesn't mean that it's done all the time. There's, there's regular intervals of downtime with serial killers, and then they'll peak. And then they'll go back down and then they'll peak. And that those time uh, phrases, time frames can go on for years. I mean, serial killers have been known to kill maybe once or twice a year and then take a break for three or four years and then start up again. There's uh, some sinister people, some real evil in the world. The vast majority good people, but there's some uh, wackos out there. Go ahead, yep, Joe. Just, uh, just a, a shameless plug. I'll, I will be interviewing. Uh, Rodney Harris and the police commissioner from Suffolk County on my show on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So that's going to be interesting. So if you have questions, you know, let me know what you got on, on my page because because the commissioner is going to be answering. His, he says he's given me 45 minutes. So, wow, that's amazing. So if you guys missed what Joe just said, let me repeat that. He's going to have the Suffolk County police commissioner who is at that podium today for the news conference on his show this coming Tuesday at 11 a.m.? Yep. Eastern time. Okay, and Joe, just tell everyone the website. We're having an issue getting the physical link up, but please um, so it's, just tell everyone yeah, the link. It's YouTube.com, yeah. the at symbol, and my name, Joseph Jackalone. Joseph Jackalone, G-I-A-C-A-L-O-N-E, G-I-C-A-L-O-N-E, Joseph Jackalone. Check out his YouTube channel. It is growing quickly because this guy has been all over the list case. And as you just saw, he covers other cases, by the way. Um, but both Phil and Joe, um, two great investigative minds. Cleveland, Cleveland Rock says, uh, we'll be watching. Thanks, and here it is right here. By the way, here it is. Nightbot, check out our best guest, Joseph Jack Loans. One-on-one interview with attorney John Ray. He just interviewed the lawyer. There is the link. Um, just want to say a big thank you to Phil Ramos, Detective Phil Ramos. By the way, Phil texted a couple of people about F1 working on that. We'll see, where, <laughs> we'll see where I get. F1's going to Vegas. If anyone knows anyone in Vegas, get this guy. He's a 33-year vet of the Vegas PD. Get him over to F1. Uh, Joe Jackalone, uh, he's awesome. Uh, a retired sergeant uh, with the NYPD. Uh, no one better than the NYPD and the L. VMPD, the Las Vegas Metropolitan uh, Police Department. So huge shout out to them. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Coming back live with my mom, no less, <laughs> the uh, star of the show coming on at 7 p.m. We're going dis- to discuss Susan and Barry Morphew. I got a lot of work to do. I'm taking Ethel to the dog park. I'm going to sit in a corner and I'm going to uh, do what I got to do. So I'll see you back here in two hours and nine minutes. Until then. Love you, America. Love you, New York, Long Island, Las Vegas. Remember to check out Joe Jackalone's YouTube channel. He's going to interview Rodney Harrison Tuesday, 11 a.m. Love you, Tasmania, Republic Ireland, Scotland, Israel. Till next time. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... 
the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs> 